It's time. Landeskog turned it over to Horvat, right to the slot. Pedersen scores! Is there anything this kid can't do? For Locked On Canucks. Now Pedersen out the right wing side. Saucer pass, left circle. Besser shoots and scores! It was good that Brock Lesnar got a goal. You gotta be joking me! The kids continue to get it done with Justin Morissette. He's a weird dude, yeah. It's good to have weird dudes. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, it is your favorite resident weird dude back at it again with your Locked On Canucks for Friday, August the 7th, Sidney Crosby's birthday, a very special show today in honor of Sid's birthday. Uh, I am Justin Morissette, but you know that already. I am joined again to break down this Canucks and Wild series Speaking by... Speaking of residents... Uh, <laughs> by a, a, a local favorite. I don't know how much he's a favorite of the listeners, but certainly in this apartment, uh, he is uh, one of two favorites, I guess. I'm number one on your roommate power rankings. <laughs> well, put, put, sometimes I'm first and you're second. I don't even know how that works. I think they call that split personality, <laughs> schizophrenia. J.D. Burke making his triumphant return to the show. JD. It's been a while. Yeah, it's been a couple days here, and I didn't want to bring you on for every single show uh, for post-game analysis this week, but at the same time, you ever seen that uh, slasher movie, The Strangers, with Liv Tyler? No. And Scott Speedman, I think, is the male lead in nope. that film. You've never seen that? No. All right. Well, it's like uh, kind of like uh, The Purge, I guess, except it's a rural area purge sort of deal. These masked killers with knives and stuff break into a, a kind of lake house out in the middle of nowhere. Liv Tyler's out at her summer home, and she's being just stalked by murderers. And in the finale of the movie, which is... Based on true events. Liv Tyler cries, Why? Why are you doing this to me? And the killers say, Because you were home. And that's basically why I've invited you onto the show today. Yeah, no, that's a great way to make me feel wanted, a great way to make me feel special. You know, it's going to be cool when I uh, talk to my boss, Peter, and I'm like, so the draft guide is another month behind schedule, and uh, it's all because I was home. I, I keep doing locked-on appearances yeah. because I'm home when Justin has to yeah. do these things. Yeah, they're going to start subtracting kroners from my, my wage, my Swedish overlords at Elite Prospects. Well, you only get paid Trey Kroners uh, per article that you submit, right? I sure. think that's how the Swedish economy works. That's the basis of their flag, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. Well, you we... get paid in Swedish <laughs> Trey Kroner uh, jerseys. Uh, it's actually mandated by our company that I change my Twitter to Snizbone in <laughs> honor of William Nylander. Best Nylander. Oh, we are getting off track in a hurry here, but uh, I do like giving the people an accurate reflection of what life content is like house. between us. Yes, listen, living in content house here in uh, Vancouver's West End. But uh, we got a lot to talk about because I have basically not spoken about game two 
or three at all. And you and I talked about game one earlier in the week, which was not a whole heck of a lot of fun and not a lot to report on positively other than the strong, dynamic play of Quinn Hughes in a game in which the Canucks scored zero goals. Uh, They have now scored uh, more than that, Uh, seven goals in this series. Quinn Hughes has three assists and uh, I believe had another assist. It's up to four perhaps in the series. I think he had one point in game two. Am I wrong about that? Would a better number for Quinn Hughes be 4.20? Shout out to our friend Mal from the Broadscast. He's faded (laughs) off that lounge again. Uh, I mean, he's got ice in his veins, man, and maybe there is some uh, medicinal reasons for that ultimately, but he's just been excellent. He was one of the only positives that we could draw out of game one, Mm -hmm. but as we sit down here in advance of game four, and fingers crossed the series will come to an end this Mm -hmm. evening... There's a, there's a couple other guys that we can shine some positive lights on, but let's start with Quinn Hughes, who has just been dominant pretty well every single time that he's been on the ice, and I don't know that that should surprise us necessarily, given the dominant season that he had and the mm. way that he was able to effortlessly step from the NCAA into the NHL. But look, I know these aren't real playoffs yet. I know Minnesota is not a good team necessarily. There are still big-time challenges ahead if this team does, in fact, move on to the actual opening round of the playoffs. But you have to be heartened by what you're seeing, not just from Hughes, but Pedersen right now as well. Yeah, I mean, like, I I might push back on the notion that this Minnesota Wild team was like a pushover or anything. I don't think you said a pushover, but not necessarily like one of the stronger teams in the league. Like, they play a really up-tempo brand of hockey at five-on-five under Dean Evason. And, like, the results, too. Like, they control a lot of the shot attempts. They control a lot of the shots, the expected goals, like all the predictive valuable metrics, right? I think the big thing, though, is that if you give an actual playoff team, like one of the top four seed teams in the Western Conference, the same amount of power play opportunities that you're giving Minnesota right now, oh yeah, another team is going to burn you in a way that the Wild are not. I mean, Kevin Fiala is almost doing it by himself, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, Tyler Myers hasn't been on the ice for any goals at 5-on-5, five five, from what I've been told. But, but no one has. <laughs> no, no, just him. And uh, the thing is that, he just keeps putting this team to the uh, to the penalty kill, and Kevin Fiala alone seems to be doing his best to make them suffer. I mean, ultimately, like, one of the observations I made going into Game 3 was this team is tied 1-1 in the series. Uh, they've only got Quinn Hughes going at this point, really. You could say that Game 2, things started to open up a bit. You started to see a bit more of a cohesive offensive unit, but we hadn't seen Jacob Markstrom at his best yet. And if you look at the goals saved above average data, what you'd note is that uh, Markstrom was actually below average in that regard going into this game, meaning that he'd surrendered more goals than you would expect an NHL average goaltender to against those shots, uh, whether it's based on the quality or frequency, you name it. So, like, when you when one considers that, you go, well, they're tied 1-1, and arguably their best player, or one of their best players at the very least, is only going at 50%. That's that's going to bode well for their for, uh, their fortunes going into game and four. And that's Markstrom? Yeah, that's Markstrom, right? I don't know that that's true, though, man. I know you pushed against the goals that he had allowed in game one. and Those certainly the, good. Certainly the late Fiala goals in game two. But I think on the whole, overall, he is a big reason why they do have the lead in the series that they do. He's been very good. Even, even with yeah, those goals. Yeah, but I said goals, that going into game three, yeah, though. Yeah, yeah, sure. But even with those goals against, he was still performing at like a .92 level. 
Right, but if you look at save percentage over a small sample, like you're bound to see some pretty wacky stuff one I, way or the other, I right? I guess that's true. Yeah. So like when you adjust for shot quality, you see that he really wasn't playing up to his usual self. And and that's fair, but he but, also but he was wasn't excellent game... in times as well. Yeah, yeah, he made a couple of 10-bell saves, but do those uh, account for the two fi the Fiala goal from the point and then the one where Edler goes low, right? Like those are both goals that he should and would have in most instances. And, and I think we saw... Jacob Markstrom returned to form in Game 3, right? Just so very calm and controlled, and he kept things in front of him. He never really had to make any 10-bell saves in that game, right? And that's kind of when you know goalies are at their best, right? Like, we've, we've had this conceptualization in the public of Jonathan Quick and him making uh, a cartwheel before he makes a what should be a routine blocker save as, as the... Uh, visual ideal of what a goaltender should be, but the reality is you shouldn't put yourself in those positions to begin with. And Jacob Markstrom, when he's at the height of his game, isn't putting himself in those positions to begin with. And that was what we saw on uh, what was it Wednesday? Now Tuesday. Tuesday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When when uh, he was playing in Game Three. So like I I think there are some really encouraging. Well, game Three was yesterday. Yes, that's right. Thursday. Thursday. Okay. And what 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 are days anymore? <laughs> um. So. You know, I, I think that we're seeing him bounce back. I think Brock Besser is another really good story as well. Yeah, I want to um, go there in a second, but yes. I just see a team that's starting to gel, starting to get their legs under them. Yeah, and I mean, if you want to put a uh, focus on the Spurgeon goal in game one as a bad goal that Markstrom allowed, mm -hmm. you're right that he probably should make that save. But you and I talked about this earlier in the week. Alex Edler should make that block. Yeah, Markstrom is like partially blocked sightline wise and is assuming that Edler has taken away the lower half of the net. And so he plays up high. Edler misses that block. It's very unfortunate. That probably was a lesson to the team as mm -hmm. well, though, because it's not just Markstrom who's bounced back in a big way. I don't want to make too big of a deal out of this because I don't want to, uh, you know, echo some in the market who are like, he's he's Ryan Johnson incarnate, as if that's a good thing. Uh, Tyler Mott, though, seven blocked shots in game three. And that's, you know, the the high end of the guys who are giving up the body. But I feel like that was kind of a mandate right across the team was we are going to do everything that we can to make Markstrom's job easier. Yeah. Uh, and that was, you know, a full team effort in game mm -hmm. three, I think. Yeah, yeah. They were collapsing harder to the slot. Everybody was buying into a, a heightened degree. You know, I mean, like even Tyler Myers, like his, his penalties were largely born of somebody trying to just uh, play with a high work rate, trying to play with a high motor, trying to really generate some physicality and some meanness. And, you know, that's some of the first meanness we've seen from Myers this year, really, if I'm not mistaken, right? He hasn't really been the toughest guy for someone his size. Uh, you know, so I think that is a testament to the group trying to kind of rally around their goaltender, try to batten down the hatches a bit. And and perhaps it's an adjustment on Travis Green's part as well, because like I said, when you look at a lot of the data that I rely on for my analysis, you'll note that, well, the Minnesota Wild aren't, aren't Jacques Lemaire's team anymore. They're not Bruce Boudreaux's team anymore. Uh, Dean Evison has them playing a run-and-gun style. And, you know, whether that favors him or not, I think that the depth we saw in Game 1 for Minnesota, uh, it really kind of gives you a more consistent edge. So the Canucks kind of slowed things down a bit. Uh, they kind of scored on counterattack plays and on the power play. Uh, these, are, these are the things they need to do. They need to be advantageous. They need to uh, push play when they get a chance to counter in the opposite direction. They need to 
play with pace and tempo, but in a much more controlled manner. And I think that's what we're seeing a little bit here. We're seeing a team that's battened down the hatches, rallied around their goaltender, and they're taking their shots when they get the opportunity instead of kind of, you know, biding their time a little bit. Because I think a lot of what we saw in game one when they couldn't get to the slot was a team that was just waiting for that perfect shot, right? Mm -hmm. There needs to be a little bit more impetus to just get a puck on net in the first place. And as they change that up, even in, in game two, right, Tanner Pearson scores like three seconds in because he does just that. It's a change in philosophy of, of a team that's focused more on counterattacking, and I think that that's kind of worked well for the Canucks in these, these games. Uh, you talked a little bit about Tyler Myers there, and I don't want to spend too much time burying him necessarily. but I It's been a rough playoffs for him. It certainly has been, and I do find myself holding my breath every time him and Fantenberg are on the ice together especially when they're on the ice during shorthanded situations. Mm -hmm. um, and you and I talked after game one about how... No you know, goals at five on five, though. The reason why that pairing might stay together instead of reuniting, I think, a much stronger pairing that we saw earlier in the year in Edler mm -hmm. and Myers is that Travis Green would feel reluctant to go to a third pairing of Stetcher and Fantenberg. Yeah. Uh, opinions are mixed on Fantenberg in this series overall. I am not really sold on it, but there are statistical people that you and I trust who are saying he's had a good playoffs. I don't trust Rance, if that's who you're talking about. <laughs> he's not the only person saying okay, that, okay. but but yes, Thomas is one of the people who is saying that. How did I know? Um, what I wanted to say, though, is that, uh, you know... People look at a Tyler Myers as someone who is capable of carrying a mm -hmm. pairing by himself. And we don't look at Troy Stetcher as someone who is capable of doing that. I think these playoffs are exposing that we should kind of reverse the way we look at these players because personally, I do think Troy Stetcher has had an excellent playoffs and is really showing a, as a guy who can carry a third pairing by himself right oh, now. Oh yeah, he, his battle level is through the through the roof and we know about his quality as a puck mover, we know about his quality as a decision maker and just somebody who plays really good off of the puck defense in the defensive zone, right? His in-zone defense is, is really refined. It's probably better than Tyler Myers once one doesn't to account for uh, the, the obvious physical gifts that Myers has that he doesn't, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I think if you're Travis Green, and, and just to play devil's advocate here, I think what he's probably doing is looking at this Minnesota Wild group where you've got four elite third lines. Like That's how we described them on the radio this morning. They've got four elite third lines and, and one player in Kevin Fiala who is a legit first-line player. Game-breaker. Yeah, game-breaker, top-of-the-lineup talent, right? And so if you're Travis Green... And you're looking at this discrepancy, you're going, I can't have a weak link, mm -hmm. right? And that's kind of the problem for the Canucks. Because even when they had Oscar Fantenberg with Tyler Myers, I mean, that, that wild fourth line was just dominating them. Like, pinned them in the defensive zone for the entire first period. And then even when you look at Tyler Myers' splits, with and without Quinn Hughes in that game... You can really see that reflected in the data. You can see that when Myers was with Fantenberg, it just didn't work. So maybe the case for what you're arguing is just one of a different evaluation than Travis Green. Because I would imagine that Green holds Myers in a higher esteem than Troy Stetcher. I don't. I hold Stetcher in a higher esteem. And I think what we're seeing here is just a confluence of different evaluations because he's probably putting Myers on that third pair because he thinks that he can do what you think Troy Stetcher can. And I think that's why we might not see them get away from that philosophy while they're in this series. I just think Troy makes at least five plays a game that I look at and say, I absolutely love this guy. Uh, you know, they're, the, in battle level is what you said. That's the exact 
right thing to focus on because the knock on Stetcher is always too small to play defensive defense in the NHL. As if, you know, not to go back to 2008, but like Mike Weaver wasn't a fantastic defensive defenseman, you know? Like small guys can play D, and we're seeing it from Stetcher all the time. One of the things that you and I talked about earlier in the week, though, was Elliot Friedman talking about Brock Besser before the play-ins began and saying Mm -hmm. that what he does in this series is going to dictate his future. Mm -hmm. Because I think we've come into this playoffs thinking that Stetcher and Vertanen, it's just a foregone conclusion that these guys will not be on the team next year. Not even anything to do with performance, but entirely from a salary perspective. These are luxury items that the team will no longer be able to afford going forward. I hope that Unlike we are... Unlike 7 million in fourth-line centers. Exactly. Those are not luxury items. Exactly. But I hope that we are able to turn the narrative a little bit as Stetcher being a part of the solution with this team. And obviously that starts, like you said, with Travis Green's assessment of him. Mm. And I don't think it's a coincidence that Stetcher every single year seems to finish on the top pairing and then starts on the third or out of the lineup at the beginning of the next season every single year. It's because even though Travis comes to trust him as the year goes on, he defaults to his natural position of not trusting him at all by the time the next season comes around. I just think he's doing so well right now that he should be a lock to stick around at the moment. And maybe that changes with a huge gaffe in Game 4 or when the actual playoff series begins next week. But I'm really impressed by him right well, now. Well, I, I think the real luxury choice for the Canucks isn't Troy Stetcher. It's Chris Tanev. And you know what? He's he's played relatively fine this series, but he's not what he used to be. And I think that re-signing him based on what we've seen this year, last year, would be a critical mistake. And if you think that you can afford to bet on a 30-plus-year-old Chris Tanev, but you can't afford to have $3 million tied up in Troy Stetcher, who can confidently, we can confidently say is either a second or third pair piece, right? Mm-hmm. Whether they're playing him on the third pair, we know that he's up to the task of playing in the top four. Well, what's the bigger luxury risk there, right? Like, yeah. I, I think that this team has always kind of had a bizarre relationship with Stetcher. They... You know, it even goes back to his first training camp, remember, when he clearly played well enough to earn a spot and then immediately got sent to Utica, and it wasn't until injuries arose that he came back and stuck with the team. an injury to, I believe, the wrist of Eric Goodbranson was the reason why the guy who always should have been on the team was on the team. And then at the end of the season, Jim Benning touted that as some big success, like... The guys who should be here will make room for them. Look at Troy Stetcher. And it's like, nah, I love, that's I love, not how I remember that. I love the implication <laughs> there, which is that like Jim Benning had somebody on the ice. He just like handed him a, a, a blank check, and he was like, I need you to do this. I need you to take out Eric Goodbranson. Get his wrist. Yeah, get his wrist. Make sure he's never the same afterwards. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, let's let's be real. He, he sucked before that. But I mean, yeah, like, he was always the same. Yeah, he was, <laughs> he was always Eric Goodbranson. And uh, pretty weird that the guy that drafted him third overall just lost his job but uh you know it's like <laughs> it, it's really peculiar I, I just he's such a good internal example of hard work and and perseverance and going against the odds and always carrying yourself the right way and and even off the ice he is a wonderful person oh yeah he is the exact kind of character that you want to cheer for he's like the antithesis to jake vertanen where it's like every time i hear a Jake Vertanen story. It's like, oh. and, and of course, none of them are going to make it to the show because that's just. Uh, that's well, we can't even. I don't even think we can reveal the ways that 
Troy is a wonderful person yes. either. Well, yeah, exactly. And, and But every time I get a Troy story from somebody in, out in the, the world, the beautiful world of the lower mainland, it's like, oh, what a sweetheart. What a swell dude. He is the nicest boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And even you hear it from the media people as well who, who cover the team directly and are building those relationships throughout the year. Uh, you know, like, by all accounts, he's just the best dude. So I, I really, like, it's, it's a running joke on Rinkwide, like, Oh, we're up against the cap. We need to summarily execute Troy Stetcher. And it just feels like that is always the default of this team. Like, Absolutely. Like, uh, we only have five million cap space. Off with his head. But I think you by know, performance, like, he's been one of the best defenders on the team right now. Well, yeah, and, and he is. He is a market inefficiency. He is what they should be chasing. Like... You talk about yeah, they, this team was willing to give two million dollars to Nikita Tramkin to be anything. Yeah, to be like a seventh or eighth defenseman who was really bad. And so. they don't want to give any amount of money to Troy Stetcher for yeah, some reason. I, it makes I no just, sense to there's, me. Like I said, there is a really bizarre disconnect between what Troy Stetcher does and what the team views his contributions as being. And just I, I wonder, like, what the resolution to that tension is going to be. Uh, you know, that friction between the two, right? And yeah, I mean, if he actually sucked, they'd give him $7 million. <laughs> <laughs> he'd be uh, he'd be on the Myers deal, you know, if uh, if that were the case. Uh, but uh, I'm just, you know, I, I can't enjoy the team's success, so I got to go there. But, um, you know, like, I just <laughs> don't understand it. It's so weird because especially if you're, like, in, in my corner of media where it's, like, everything you do gets painted as negative. Like, never mind when I would go on the radio and be like, you guys, Elias Pettersson is amazing when he was a prospect. Never mind when Quinn Hughes was in Michigan. I was like, he's going to revolutionize the position, y'all. He's great. Anyway, you still get hit with the, the negative tag, right? Yes, and it's because like, you hate the players who suck. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's just like, sorry, <laughs> I have expectations. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And And it's like, this is an example with Troy Stetcher where it's like, I'm not negative. I just like the right players. And, and for some reason, the team-authorized consensus happens to always be in a divergence with those players. Like, Troy Stetcher is good. Mm -hmm. He is an easy 3-4 in my mind. Oh, absolutely. To me, I think undoubtedly Troy Stetcher is a good... Is it, he's a number four defenseman on a good team. Well, like, also, we have proof of concept. Like, we don't need to guess. Like, Willie Desjardins... Travis Green have played Stetcher first pairing minutes with Alex Edler. With Ben Hutton, even! With Ben Hutton, even. But, I mean, like, when he played with Alex Edler, that was a true first pairing in first pairing deployments against first pairing competition, and they put up decent numbers. Like, I, I just don't know, like, why we have to keep suspending disbelief here to be like, mm, but can he do it at that height? It's like, what, what, we've got the track record. We have the proof. Uh, you know, uh, I've seen the documents. And... <laughs> And they show the Troy Stetcher. Black helicopters. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, well, let's talk about two other players who I think uh, the market is less split on. The one of them coming into this series, that might have been a different story. Let's begin with Elias Pettersson. Because when we mm -hmm. talked earlier in the week, you and I both agreed that, you know. He's a perfect little angel. No matter how tight, Win uh, not Winnipeg, no matter how tight Minnesota wants to play him, he is going to find a way to bust loose and have a trademark signature Elias Pettersson moment. Now, obviously, scored his first postseason goal in Game 3 mm -hmm. on Thursday, but even if he hadn't done that, I still think we've seen some very signature stuff from Elias Pettersson, and it's not just in the way he battled through, because, yes, they played him very tough in Game 1, and he did battle all night long in that game. 
I said this yesterday. I made the joke on Twitter. Between game one and two, the man took a sledgehammer down to the basement and dug oh, up yeah, his guns. Yeah. He is John Wick. He is a killer on a mission right now. And obviously, personally, I think Ryan Hartman injured himself by trying to oversell what Pedersen had done to him. And obviously, he was good to play in game three yesterday as well. But still, like... Even if that's a Hartman sell job, the fact that Petey got so frustrated that he punched the guy in the back of the head. And we all love it. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. No, he, totally. He, he's great. been terrific. And even his ability, look, the back check in game two. Everybody's talking about the Jake Vertanen back check from game two. Not even the best back check in that game. Petey did an amazing thing in the first period of that game. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's just been all over the place doing everything right. Even the way he protects himself when he gets hit in dangerous positions. I am just in awe of everything that he does in every second of the game. The kid could not be smarter in any situation. Well, no, I mean, like, that's that's something that really is revealing of a player's hockey sense is, is those little plays, like the back check, where most players would see that back check as, as mission accomplished as soon as they intercepted the pass. But Elias Pettersson, uh, he angles his stick so that the puck goes to his... Uh, teammate Quinn Hughes on that play who can immediately transition the puck up ice and it's like nobody else thinks like that you know mm-hmm. uh, very few players do and that's something that's a pretty consistent theme with some of the players that we rate exceptionally high uh, at elite prospects for this year's draft is like do they constantly have that mindset like are they thinking three steps ahead of the play and if the answer is yes then they've got something you cannot teach and that is something that is extremely valuable but I mean, for me, like, I'm not an old-school hockey guy by any stretch of the imagination, even if my draft takes are starting to slowly veer into that territory. (laughs) But, like, you know, seeing Elias Pettersson just just force Ryan Hartman to eat shit uh, after he tries to to take a run at him was just, like, so invigorating in a weird way. It was like, hell yeah, like, this guy... I'm fired up as hell watching that on the couch. I can't imagine how the guys sitting on the bench are feeling. Well, yeah, and and you know what? Like, why are we even surprised? Like, Elias Pettersson is, like... I don't know if he would work in any other capacity in society. Like he, and I see, I say that as like a compliment. Like there's a certain type of competitive freak that hockey breeds, and those are the special players who are just never satisfied, right? Mm-hmm. Like, what sort of mindset do you have to have if you're Elias Pettersson to look at your shot and break it down into 14 individual components? Do you know what I mean? Like, it just speaks to a different mindset. It speaks to why he's different, why he's Elias Pettersson. To be able to view his own shot mechanics as if it's like the engine of a car. Yeah, yeah. Well, and just like the competitive drive to do that, right? Like, if we can apply that across every element of his game, then why why would we be surprised that he's, like, trying to murder people who take a run at him, right? Like, yes. if you directly apply that component of Elias Pettersson's success and, and what makes him special. And you and I like, talked about this on Monday, his competitiveness. But yeah, I yeah. wasn't expecting it to translate in him becoming a, a thug, you know, not to call him that because, I, like, that's what playoff hockey is. You need to be able to hang tough in situations like this. I think there's a lot of people who have maybe put their takes uh, away or, or sheathed their swords, as it were. But, like, what was all the talk when he came into the league? This kid's 165 pounds soaking wet. He's too small. He's a wet noodle. He's going to get pushed around all over the ice. I know we're two years removed from mm-hmm. that at this point, but to see him be the guy doing the pushing. Yeah, yeah. It's, no, it's incredible. It's so cool. Dude it, rules. Yeah. Uh, and Dude's one of those rock. things that he does that, you know, you you are left baffled as to whether he even meant to do it 
is the play that created Brock Besser's first playoff goal in game two, which was totally meant to do it. I have no, I, I have no hesitation. I totally think so too, but we, there was arguing about it. Yeah. By, by fools, by bu- buffoons. Because it's an Alex Edler point shot. Yeah. That is tipped right in front of the net by Elias yeah. Pettersson in almost Henrik Sedin like fashion yeah. to push that puck over to the far side of the net where Brock Besser has peeled off the wall after just playing possum with Ryan Suter in a tremendous play from Besser mm-hmm. as well to roll out of that pick, which he was never trapped in to begin with, but completely tricked Suter into thinking he had himself pinned yeah. to find the open ice there. Pedersen, Deflects that puck out of midair directly onto Besser's stick. Mm-hmm. Besser scores on a basically wide open net. Incredible play from both of those guys. It just the the mental ability to be able to think the game that way to yeah. always be basically almost five steps ahead. Essentially, is is the way Pedersen thinks. It's been incredible to see, and for a guy like Brock Besser as well. You know, everybody wants to celebrate him now that he's put up two goals and is playing fantastic in this series. But I think even internally, the Canucks coming into this thing were like, we rate him behind Tyler Toffoli, mm-hmm. and if it comes down to it, we would probably like to the resign Canucks, Drance, Tyler same Toffoli. Yeah. Well, Travis Green. You know, where does this information come from? You said it. <laughs> I think Travis Green prefers Tyler Toffoli to Brock Bester. There's something about Brock's game that Travis just doesn't trust for some reason. And in that regard, he's kind of similar to Troy Stetcher because, like, what does this guy need to do to prove himself to you? Mm -hmm. I think if anyone was doubting Brock Bester this year, you can say things like, oh, I don't know if his shot was entirely the same because I do think he did have to overcome some wrist issues and get his shot back over the course of this season. But right before he got injured in the injury that necessitated the Toffoli trade in the first place, he was looking very much not just like his old self, but like a better version of himself than he had ever been before. And that, I think, is what we're seeing from him in these playoffs. Well, we have to remember, too, that there is this evil poopy head monster at 1040 who just uh, he spurred Brock Besser to this right like Matt Sakaris is evil and Matt Sakaris specifically said I hate Brock Besser and I want him out of this city for good no he just made the trade rumor right and that's where much of this conversation came from Mm -hmm. but Uh, as we said on Monday that was something that had existed all season long. It's not like he invented that whole cloth. Nope. That was a conversation that fans were having, that media were having. You go back six months, that's a very common topic. That if nope. this team wants to improve on the back end, they probably have to find a trade chip up front. And what's the biggest trade chip they got that holds value that they can actually stand apart with? It's Brock Besser. No. No, that no, was, no one's no, ever said that until Matt no, brought it up. No, and no, he's, you're right, you're he's right. evil. Yes. But uh, no, like he he's he's really good, and and he's like one of those unique players where like his his raw Corsi and expected goal stat it looks fine, but like when you adjust it for usage, it's like oh maybe he didn't have the two way season we thought. But no matter what, when he's on the ice, he drives percentages. Like he's one of those unique players who has an uh, a, 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 a abnormally high shooting percentage personally and who seems to boost his team's on ice shooting percentage as a result and it's like even if you're Travis Green and you're going well he's one he's a one um one dimensional player it's like well that's the most that dim- dimension is the it's most it's the most important one in hockey yeah what does Travis always say it's a hard league to have that dimension in <laughs> yeah yeah exactly that's what <laughs> he says that all the time but i mean like look at Phil Kessel who is the ultimate one dimensional player i was looking at his wins above replacement the other day 
He's he he got it done. You know, he played no defense. He never crossed his own blue line. But if you're good enough at scoring goals, and I think that Brock Besser, if he, even if he's not in that height of the NHL, right? Because Kessel was really special. Whatever. I don't want to get yeah, yeah. it lost. No, I get there. It. I get you. But like, if you're in that group, even on the low end, then you bring enough value. And I think that having somebody like a Brock Besser on a team like the Canucks, who I mean, they're they're just not going to win the depth game right now anyway, right? Like, I know Travis Green's probably watching this series and sending missives to to Jim Benning begging that they acquire Joel Erickson Eck through whatever means possible, right? Like, that's a player that he wants, right? Yes. But with the team that he has, I think Brock Besser does have a unique sort of value to him. And, you know, similarly to Troy Stetcher, they would be wise to, uh, you know, to take heed of that value and, and to use it proportionately. Yeah, and if I'm if I'm playing an RPG and there's a, a person that I can add to my party who carries 30% luck to every, per- every person who he is uh, in a group with, I want that guy in my party. You know what I'm saying? Um, totally. I'm always saying that. I'm just playing Dragon Quest Eleven in, uh, on Switch right now. So Yeah, that's one of the things I say in my scouting <laughs> meetings. It's like, uh, hey, Mitch, what? What what sort of ratings boost can we expect in luck from uh, from Maverick Bork? But but like, not I'm not entirely out to lunch on that, right? Like no, that I, is I a get, very I get what you're trait. saying. I get and what if you're he boosts percentages for everybody that he plays with, then there is something magic about that on some level. Um, but but he's been great, and even the goal that he scored in Game Three, completely. Uh, atypical from anything that he's ever done before. You know, he's not a net front presence mm-hmm. guy, but he was in that situation. And I don't know if that's just him having a physical willingness to do anything to help mm. this team win right now and do anything to buy himself a goal because for the longest time it seemed like it just wasn't going to happen. Mm-hmm. He's got two in two games at the moment, but prior he's got to motivation th- now. But prior to that, it was like this guy's cursed. He's doing everything right. The process could not be more correct. And the results just aren't coming. I think this is like the perfect regressing to the mean sort of uh, example because this should have been something that we all expected from Brock Besser, but I do feel like he did have doubters as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I've I've been talking about the biggest doubter of them all this whole time. (laughs) No, I mean, the biggest doubter, I think, like you said, is is on the Canucks bench, right? That's who he's going to be fighting against uh, as long as he's in Vancouver. And you know what? Maybe that's a good thing. Like, like, look at uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois in Columbus, right? Mm -hmm. Like, he's getting you know, reamed out by, by John Tortorella one game and he scores a hat trick the next. Like, some people respond to that. And it, it also puts you in a position where you're never allowed to get comfortable, I guess. Yes, or level. complacent, you know. Uh, well, which, sort of the same yeah, thing. Yeah, sort of the same thing. I, I just, I had that word in my head. I had to get it out. But, uh, no, I, I think, like, ultimately this could be a Brock Besser coming out party. And, I mean, like, he's such an awesome dude. You know, like, uh, same vein as, as Troy Stetcher, you know. Maybe doesn't make always the best decisions, I say, thinking about stuff they would talk on the broadcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, the broadcast, I mean. Uh, <laughs> but, like, he, he's very well-meaning. He's got a really good heart. Like, he does things like going to the, the prom with that uh, that disabled teenager in Minnesota. And you yesterday, know? a very big day for him. Yeah, the, yeah. The six-year anniversary of the passing of a good friend of his from childhood, somebody that he played uh, junior with, and wears the number six in honor of, of his of his fallen friend as well, and yes, pointed up to the heavens after his goal. A big day for him, a big anniversary, uh, and, and that he comes up big in these situations. I think there was a great quote from 
uh, Ian McIntyre, who spoke to Brock's mother either yesterday or in the lead up to the anniversary, who talked about, yes, his, you know, his play means a lot to himself and what he's doing is, is very key to his own kind of self-worth and pride. But he also understands that he plays for more than just himself. Uh, that, you know, his friends went and visited the gravestone of his uh, deceased friend yesterday, and he was not able to do that. But what he was able to do was score a goal for him instead. Um, and that's beautiful. How can yeah. you not like that? How can you not yeah. want to cheer for that? No, totally. I mean, like, I, I ascribe to the Nietzschean thought that God is dead. So, I mean, I took some issue with the specifics there. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Uh, no, like it was, uh, it was, it was a beautiful moment. Like, and 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 he's just provided so many of them, and like also just as a beacon of hope for this team. Uh, remember how dire it used to be before Brock? He Beth? was the he was the first bright shining. He was the the torches being lit. You yeah, know? yeah, gather yeah. the Rohirrim. Yeah, like a lot of freaks thought it was Nikita Triamkin because he was tall, and they're obsessed with that for some reason. But like the real player who brought the first whiff of hope the, to this the team. The beacon being lit on the mountain. Yes, the beacons of Gondor. Absolutely. It was Brock Besser. Absolutely. Um, uh, so, you know what? I, I think that he he's kind of got institutional value beyond what his market value might be. And, and frankly, I, I just... Like, look, any player's on the market, right? Like, at least Pedersen should be on the market if it's Connor McDavid, who's coming the other way, maybe. I don't know. Or something to that effect, right? Like, mm -hmm. nothing should be off of the table, but it's not like I would ever be rushing to trade a Brock Besser. No, uh, even if it's a uh, you know a Matt Dumba or whatever coming back the other way. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, you know, before we wrap up here, JD, I do want to talk about Louis Erickson very quickly. Little things, Louis, because that is a guy that I predicted would come into the lineup after mm -hmm. Game One. Obviously, injuries made that happen. We haven't even talked about. It. I haven't mentioned one single time all week. The fact that Tyler Toffoli is currently injured and unavailable. The fact that even, uh, you know, Michael Furland is injured and unavailable. And we might not see those guys again in this playoffs. Uh, it hasn't really mattered at the moment. In fact, the team got better when they came out, probably because they were playing injured and sucked. I like to think that explains Toffoli's uh, performance in Game 1. But... Uh, you know, I talked about it with Jackson before Game 2 even happened, that Louis could be this kind of soothing balm, like an aloe mm -hmm. vera that just helps everything that's wrong with this team. I said it sarcastically. It sort of seems like that is the case, though, you know? And yeah. I don't know how we explain that. Well, I, I think I can explain that because I'm incredibly smart and handsome. <laughs> and the way that I would explain that Humble is... Humble, too. Yes, very much so. Modest. Uh, is is Bo Horvat doesn't really move the river at five on five. He's never been a play driver. He's never been somebody who tilts the the shot clock. And you know Brock Besser isn't the player who's going to do that for him either, as we just discussed. But Louis Erickson can. And for all Louis Erickson's shortcomings, he's somebody who thinks the game two steps ahead. Uh, he's somebody who wins puck battles. Who's, he's somebody who's in the right spots. He makes the right reads off of the puck in the defensive zone. Like Louis Erickson is probably one of the Canucks' ten best forwards. And I you know, feel so I, like good that shouldn't for even him. be non-controversial. I know? feel so good for him. He seems like a nice guy. Like even after the moment where his stick just disintegrated, mm -hmm. as Drance pointed out yesterday, not even on the shot, on the backswing. He hadn't even brought the stick forward yet, and it was already just obliterated in his hands. That's a, uh, hey, 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 really original guy here on Canucks Twitter. <laughs> uh, doesn't that remind you of like his whole Canucks tenure? <laughs> Probably, it's the most typical Louis Erickson yeah, thing that can happen. Probably the first person to make that joke. But if you were Louis Erickson in that situation, wouldn't you go back to the bench and just be pulling your hair out that nothing goes right for you? 
Probably, because yeah. Because you and I are both depressive people, and that's how we would view ourselves. Yeah. Louis on the bench, yucking it up, talking to JT Miller, having the time of his life, big smile on his face, couldn't be happier. And when I see that, I'm like, oh, man, like, how, how could you hate this guy? He's also a very big believer in, in feminism, as we know. Oh, yes. And uh, and that, for me, is another feather in Louis Erickson's uh, headband, if you will. He's much more giving than uh, <laughs> than a Jamie Benn type, let's say. Like I said, another feather in his headband. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, JD, this series might be over uh, by the time you and I speak again. It probably will be, if I had to guess. Uh, I don't think the Wild are going to escape Game 4, but... The last one is always the hardest one to come by, mm-hmm, unless mm-hmm, you're the Calgary mm-hmm. Flames, who made it look extremely easy last night. Yeah, well, I mean, killing half of your opponents, it really goes a long way towards that. <laughs> like, if half of your opponents are watching the game from the morgue, it's a lot easier to beat them. <laughs> oh, I don't know. One last thing before we go. This is something that I talked about with Jackson earlier in the week, the idea that this is Schrodinger's playoffs and it will take a win for people to start caring. We're two wins into this series. Probably going to win the series tonight, as I said. I don't really feel like the city cares still. And I don't know if that's just the fact that it's impossible to measure that at a time when everyone is staying in their houses and you don't see public displays or whatever at, at this exact time. You know, I would say like another thing, too, is just the NHL is so bad at selling itself and their media policy is so dumb and bad and stupid and self-evidently bad and stupid. And something as simple as, like, during the playoffs, you hang on every single word from the team. You hang on every single bit of information. Like, did you see the Zapruder film breakdowns of Canucks practice and who was there, who wasn't there? Mm -hmm. Like, not having the lines go out, not having a media presence at practice... That that's it. You get the games, and then that's it. You're you're done with the Canucks experience. You get your pre and post game, your intermissions, whatever. But that's it. That's where the conversation ends. Like you don't have the opportunity because there's only so much you can say about any given game, right? Yeah. You don't get to hypothesize who's going where, why they're going there. You don't get to hear from the coach. Like the NHL really kind of we're allowed to swear, right? Shit yeah. the bed like majorly, like just a completely asinine decision because uh, like. There would be so much conversation about the lines today. Think about Jake Bertan and uh, his in his yo-yo routine uh, with the lineup, right? Like mm-hmm. this league, man. This league, they really just they can't help themselves. And this is this is it right here. Like there's just nothing new to talk about by the time that the sun rises on the next day, and that's what you're experiencing. Well, look at you agreeing with Thomas Trance. Mm-hmm. And that's where we'll cap it today, JD. Uh, you launched a new show this week, and I know you've already plugged it on the show here uh, earlier in the week, but I will let you once again talk about the Elite Prospects podcast with JD Burke and Craig Button. Right, right. Yeah, we uh, we had Tim Stutzla on the show, uh, just the most charming, sweet kid. Um, really hope the best for him in his it, NHL career. You really hope he goes no higher than seventh yes of uh, course of course but other than that all the best it's all about a personal vendetta when we rate (laughs) players i should say this um you know working with craig is such a treat like he's one of the best people in the industry like hands down uh just a great mentor great friend uh super willing to help out and do the work um you know it's been a lot of fun and you know the first episode right i i definitely had some nerves about me but uh the reception's been great 
you know, we've, we've heard nothing but positive feedback and we're looking forward to growing it because we've got such an exhaustive list of contacts from within the game. And, you know, there are some who don't believe you should hear from scouts. In fact, they would tell you it's never a story when you hear from these people. Yeah. In fact, you can't even name who the head scout is. It's no, not a story then at it's all. Not a, then it's not a story, right? Especially if they haven't been on the ice for a goal at five on five against. <laughs> so... We want to give those people a voice, right? And they've they put in so much work. Like you think about the Detroit Red Wings, do they get to be that dynasty without Datsuk and Zetterberg? Well, why why shouldn't you hear from the people who found them? Yeah, and that's kind of the philosophy of our show. Or why shouldn't you hear from them on the way as they're ascending up the ranks before they're jaded and become sick of the media process? Right? Like learn about these players as people. You know, like I said, the NHL isn't going to do itself any favors in selling the sport. Maybe we can help out in this one aspect, our little niche corner here. So if you look up the Elite Prospects podcast, like that person in their car right there, uh, no space between Elite and Prospects. It's available wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a rating, a review, if if you like it, of course. If you don't, then just, I don't know, kick rocks. But uh, check it out. It's good stuff. And I'm hoping as this show grows that people will take you seriously as well as someone who is connected and knows what they're talking about because i'm just thinking about uh you know as you were reporting things on the judd bracket situation earlier this summer everybody in this market who instinctively wants to hate you anyways being yeah, like yeah. what does he know he's got no sources he doesn't know anyone yeah it's not like i, I was I, in a rink like every day yeah, for I like three months straight really sleep on the the height of your position with elite prospects and your standing within the scouting community it's it's great because it's the ultimate like on the one hand it's gatekeeping and that's always bad but like if you show up to the rank they love you like because there are so many people who they think don't put in the work right and and jd i i put in the work you put in the work so they they like me for reasons that i can't quite figure out and and that's usually the case in all my relationships so nothing new there (laughs) so uh look up the elite prospects podcast and uh enjoy it and say nice things about it please yeah he asked you to head on over to uh, the itunes store and leave a rating and in review the just there and ladies and gentlemen i ask you to do the same if you enjoy this program please head on over to apple podcasts leave me a nice review i always like to read the, the nice things people say about the show it's like free therapy it gives me some very fleeting serotonin and i could use a little bit more of that just one just uh, one serotonin <laughs> But enjoy the show this evening, or the game, I should say. Uh, Game four between the Canucks and Wild at 7.45 p.m. Puck drop this evening on Sportsnet. And uh, hopefully this will be it, and I can come back and break down the series for you with a post-gamer either on Saturday morning or if they wrap up the series, might even save it for Monday morning. We shall see. But you will hear from me again before too long. J.D., thanks for doing this, Probably hear from me again uh, before too long, too, at this rate. Because (laughs) you were home. Uh, Until then, I have been and will continue to be Justin Morissette, and you've been locked in on Locked On Canucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.